Good morning, One Life. It is good to be with you all this morning. And even hearing those words, morning by morning, new mercies, I see and I think about the sun coming out. You never know, living in Seattle, which mercy the Lord will bring, the mercy of the sun or the mercy of clouds. I love that God knows which one we need. Um, you might be wondering about the quilts that are surrounding you. Um, these are on loan to us from a quilting ministry headquartered at a church about a mile from here called Stone Soup Quilting Ministries. Dozens, if not hundreds of volunteers do each step, the cutting, the picking of a design, the assembling of fabrics, the building of bundles to someone else will piece them into tops and someone else will put the quilt the quilt layer in the back on and someone else will do the binding. Um, many hands go into these handmade quilts and then they are given to the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance so that every three or four months, 30 or 40 quilts are given for people who need comfort in a time, time of need. Uh, and so they're on loan to us because today is a hard topic and it was chilly this morning, and they will be an illustration later. And if you need to feel wrapped up and kept, they are here. You can bundle up in a blanket. Um, they fit several people. Um, bundle up with someone you love, um, or just notice the patterns on them. Uh, would you pray with me? Great is thy faithfulness wild, extravagant, faithful God. Um, you know where we are, uh, where we are going, and you are good. We trust that you keep us. Would you be near to those who are uh, in pain today and shield the joyous? In your name we pray, amen. So we're in the middle of this series called As We Go, and I said this in the first service too, I'm not going to lie, every time I see this picture, all I think is, I want to go to there. <laughs> I want to be there. Um, but in this series, we're looking at the elements of a journey, any given journey, the journey that we are on in life, maybe as a metaphor. Greg started us with the questions, who are you, where have you come from, and where are you going? Then Rich talked about our traveling companions, that we are not meant to and cannot go it alone. And last week, Rich invited us into the unexpected territory beyond what we knew or anticipated when we first set out, that there is more than meets the eye in this journey. And today, we're going to spend some time considering troubles on the road, the trials and challenges that we encounter, often when we least expect them. But if last week was about things that come up, then these are the things that go wrong. If those things are opportunities, these are disasters. Not just what's unexpected, but unwelcome. And perhaps one of those moments in your own life comes to mind. We've all had some form of it. A tragedy or a trauma. Something that knocks the wind out of you. So, if you would with me, take the half sheet that was in your 
uh, bulletin and flip it to the blank side. And as you think of maybe that time, a time when you've experienced something like this, draw an image to symbolize that. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else, but somewhere kind of in the middle, just put an image that will make sense to you of how that felt or something to represent, symbolize that situation or that era. We'll come back to it later. You might be in a season of this right now or might be coming out of one or maybe it's been some time since you've experienced something like a valley. But if you could, hold that time in your mind during the message. So to start us off, I want to show a clip from the TV series that Greg referenced a few weeks ago uh, called The Long Way Round. These two guys, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, also camera and crew, uh, so many folks, at least three. Anyway, motorcycling from London around just east, London to New York. And in this episode, they've recently crossed from Russia into Mongolia, and they have been marveling at how beautiful this unknown terrain is. They're like, we're in the middle of nowhere. It's so beautiful. Who knew? Well, everyone who's lived there for centuries knows perfectly well. But <laughs> they're like, look, it's undiscovered. Um, so it's lovely. But meanwhile, the roads are bad to non-existent in places. And just before the clip, they had come up to a village where the folks said, you can't go across these two rivers here. You have to go around uh, this lake and then meet back up to the road because the, the two rivers are too, too dense. So they take a day and a half to go what would have been 35 kilometers. But they find the road again. They're like, great, we're on the road. Can't do the map, can't you know, carry that part with us. Let's carry on. So this clip is about five minutes long. I don't think there's language. I think it's censored. I think that's all you need to know. I was having such a great time in the morning. I felt like a, some great explorer. We were really riding our bikes out into nowhere. Should have been a pointer. But I felt like we were like the nomads, you know, a bit. And we were just those mountains that were right over it. And then moments later, it all just went just to your worst nightmare. <laughs> to a stage where the road kept just fading out and we'd had to cross back over the same bit of river twice because we'd gone the wrong way on the other side of the bank. That road just ran out there. And it completely ran out. Just, uh, you know, I don't want to go on a road which nobody ever goes on. Yeah. At least this road, someone always goes on this road, at least, if something happens. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know? We're just a bit confused as to which road to take. We've taken the left fork and maybe we should have taken the right one. Funny how quickly a great morning could turn into a really crappy afternoon, isn't it? just mud and you just can't get through and you just keep falling over. 
Today is like living hell at moments when you're falling all the time. Every three feet you fall down. You know, that's kind of what the trip's all about, I suppose, because those are the memories that you look back on and laugh about or are proud that you got through it about. We've gone to Cannes. Could have been in the south of Spain. Could have gone to, I don't know, Mexico or something. moment where he's got his face in his hands and he's like 
Is he laughing or crying or both? And is it just maddening by that point to try to make sense of it? So these guys have encountered some trials along this road now. And some of the things that they said struck me like funny how quickly a great morning can turn into a really crappy afternoon. This must be sent to test us, isn't it? Test me anyway. I don't really know how I feel. I'm kind of numb. And then what Ewan said to Claudio, the cameraman, whatever happened to asphalt and all these other gears? What happened to dry clothes? And why haven't you fallen off at all? <laughs> um, what, what they, what's in the episode before this? Because Claudio's response to him in that moment is Red Devil, and he's referring to his replacement bike. Because in the episode before, Claudio's bike frame shattered and took a couple days to see if they could fix it and um, ended up with this old-school Russian zippy bike, the Red Devil. But, and it's lighter than the uh, BMWs that the other guys are on. And so Claudio never falls again, <laughs> apparently. But so in this moment, Ewan's like, why haven't you fallen at all? Never mind. Yet last week, you too were feeling this. And it, it was hard to see in this shot, but um, one of the times that Claudio sets down the camera to help push Ewan out, he just gets mud all up on his front. Or Charlie says, we have to just soldier on. While not many of us have taken trips around the world like this on motorcycles, we've all known these times of crisis, right? The diagnosis, the phone call, getting fired, not getting hired, the collision, the storm weather system that insurance calls an act of God, the divorce, the miscarriage, the war, the loss times when, if to borrow from Rich's sermon last week, you're not the priest or the Levite or the Good Samaritan, but you're the person who gets beaten the crap out of you and robbed and left for dead in the road. And to be honest, I had a hard time preparing this message without using swear words. There were a lot of, a lot of them in my mind, and I did not put them here. But I was taught growing up that swear words are reserved for strong situations. And that is what these are. Unexpected, unwelcome, unmerited, even when you've done everything right, in some cases. Like the prophet Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah is on the run from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel after, in chapter 18, challenging the prophets of Baal to a duel of invoking their gods, which Yahweh wins handily because apparently the other gods are taking naps or visiting the restroom. It's the one with the two altars and two bowls and fire drenching Yahweh's altar, and fire consumes it. But Ahab is not pleased and sets out to kill Elijah, who runs for 40 days and reaches a cave on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. So here in 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's like he's saying, I did everything you asked. I am the only righteous guy you've got here, and now I've got a bounty on my head. I did not sign up for this. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. And you start to think, you're alone in this, you're the only person who's felt this, what did I do to deserve this? And that's one of the traps. Comparing our stories and our journeys to other people's is not helpful. That's grousing, cousin of commiserating. It's a sour sort of delicacy. When really it just needs to be grieved, the trials are unmerited. They're not fair. But they're not an indicator of sin or a reflection of worthiness or worthlessness. These troubles on the road, trials and challenges, happen to everyone. And in the song, Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen, often attributed to Kurt Vonnegut as a graduation speech, the writer says not to bother worrying about the future because the real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. That line has haunted me since I heard it because I feel it. Have you had one of those moments? Blindsided at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. I've been metaphorically blindsided. And I also played full contact varsity basketball, so I've probably been literally blindsided but got the memory of it knocked out of me. Have you ever seen a slow motion replay of someone getting blindsided? I found a couple on YouTube and chose not to show them. But doesn't your soul recognize that impact? Yale philosophy professor Nicholas Walterstorff wrote about the experience of sudden loss in his book, Lament for a Son. And I wanted to show you the cover for the landscape that they show. This book was uh, in response from receiving news that his 25-year-old son had fallen to his death while climbing mountains in Europe while he was there working on his PhD. He intimates that his soul was as shattered and broken as his son's body. C.S. Lewis talks about trials and the problem of pain, that they shatter our illusions of comfort and self-sufficiency. He says, if the first and lowest operation of pain shatters the illusion that all is well, the second shatters the illusion that what we have, whether good or bad in itself, is our own and enough for us. This shattering that we would rather avoid or that we would just as soon forget, that we would not wish on anyone, it asks something else of you than you had expected to have been asked, and it changes, it shapes you. The shattering breaks some pieces off, and nothing fits back where it was before. And these New, these New Testament verses came to mind 
as I was thinking about trials. In James 1, 2 and 3, it says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Or in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I don't want to speak for you, but for me, those have never been comforting in the moment. Consider this pure joy. If you're calling this light and momentary, find some silver lining. Maybe these verses are true in retrospect, but I have found them dismissive when I'm living it. You can't just find a silver lining. And neither can we slap a Bible verse on it especially if the verse is meant as a stand-in for God or a stand-in for presence. So these are the types of situations that are not redeemed instantly. You have to go through them. They're an invitation to stop, reevaluate, lose track of yourself, find track of God, hopefully, and eventually be reborn. And this is where the death and resurrection of Christ isn't just a thing that we say we believe or say pray once so that we can get into heaven later, but this is where the death and resurrection of Christ has everything to do with everything. That there is death, but there is also resurrection. In his book, Everything Belongs, which is gorgeous, Richard Rohr says, Christians who believe in the death and resurrection of Christ should be able to help those who are going down this path, whether they are also believers in Christ. We all need to hear this. Not just slapping a verse on it, but offering hope too. Tell those, and this is what he says, tell those in pain that this is not forever. There is a light and you will see it. This isn't all there is. Trust don't try to rush through it. We can't leap over our grief work, nor can we skip over our despair work. Yet this sacred space is the very space we avoid. When we avoid darkness, we avoid tension, spiritual creativity, and finally transformation. We avoid God who works in the darkness, where we are not in control. Maybe that is the secret, relinquishing control. And that brings to mind this image when I was five in kindergarten. We had this plastic thing that we hung some, not even hung, I don't know how it happened. And I don't know how long it took, but I can see it. <laughs> there were caterpillars, and then there were chrysalises. I don't know what the plural form of that is. Chrysalis, several. And then there were monarch butterflies. I was five, and I don't know how much time that took, but I remember our teacher continually being like, let's check the things. And it took forever, because <laughs> I was five. But uh, she also had us drawing monarch butterflies and making wax paper stained glass monarch butterflies, preparing for what we would eventually see. And that reminds me of the thing that I have on a magnet on my refrigerator and maybe you've seen it on greeting cards and Pinterest and embroidered on pillows. Um, just when the caterpillar thought the world was over, 
it became a butterfly. Because for all that caterpillar knows, the world is over. But you, that caterpillar doesn't know about the rest of the world. Lewis says that this, this shattering of our illusions invites us to reality, to find out what is beyond that, our idea of the world. He also used the example of children who are satisfied to play with mud pies because they can't conceive of a holiday at the beach. Our desires are too weak. Our sights are set too low. So what is our desire in? What's our hope? I think, I hope, it's in the death and resurrection. There is actual goodness. There is resurrection, restoration, redemption, reconciliation, a place of shalom where everything is put right. In Revelation 21, where John sees and describes the new heaven and the new earth, in verse 4 he says, Now the dwelling of God is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I used to think that this was like, here's the end. Now it's in Revelation. We know how the story ends. And it's that we'll be in heaven and things will be fine, and everything else will be eradicated or forgotten wiping away the tears from their eyes. Forgetting the causes of pain was a way I was taught that as a kid. You won't even remember the pain. But now I read this text, and I see throughout all of Scripture, even in that First Kings 19, when uh, Elijah says, I'm the only one you got left. The next thing is God saying, step out to the edge of the ledge because I'm going to pass by. God comes near. God is present. God shows up in the still, small whisper of a wind to Elijah. And here, the point is, we will be united with God. The dwelling of God is with humanity, and he will live with them. It happens in moments and instances throughout Scripture, and, and that is our goal. We will be reunited. And the voice that said, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away, then says in verse 5, I'm making everything new. Not I'm making all new things, I'm chucking all this and starting over, but I am making everything new. In Richard Rohr's book, Everything Belongs, which again, I wanted you to see the landscape, this idea of barrenness. But that in everything belongs, nothing, nothing with God is wasted. God contains us, contains our stories, contains our shattering. God takes all of it to make things of beauty. And that's where these quilts come in. Because the number of pieces the, the uses these fabrics have seen before, maybe they thought their world was over, but they have a new use now, reunited, pieced together. 
and not just a function, but a beauty. There's an order, there's a style, there's a, there's a beautiful artwork. There's this whole uh, branch of quilt making that is fascinating and beautiful. Um, I saw this one earlier this week, and I thought, look at that, like big pieces, small pieces, dark, light. If you were a piece of fabric, could you tell whether you were going left or right or whether you were going up and down? Or like what it feels like to be in the middle instead of to see the whole picture? And what did it feel like to be a piece of fabric and to get stitched? Or does it feel good? The other image I have is of a Japanese pottery repair method called kintsugi or kintsukuroi. And the words there say, to repair with gold. The art of repairing pottery with gold or silver lacquer and understanding that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. That when a piece is shattered, it is not wasted or thrown out but just rebuilt in a way to even highlight the scars, highlight the, what's a better word for scars? What? Battle wounds, fractures, binding, being rebound, being re Like, we don't see it in the moment when we're living it. But maybe down the road, we can look back and see how we've been brought through, how we've been reshaped, how God has been near. And that's often where people who have lived through something can now claim the verses like James and say there is joy here and there is perseverance here and there's a depth in me now that God couldn't have done but this way and I wouldn't wish this experience on anyone but I also now wouldn't change it from my story wouldn't undo it but this is where we borrow our hope that God is making everything new and in the video clip you don't know when that rise is going to be the rise <laughs> the one that gives you the smooth road, the one that gives you lovely scenery again. But you just keep going. And you trust that this part of the story is not the whole part, but it is a part that you go through, that we all go through. And the last thing, I think I don't have the... Um, image of it, but there's a woman who is an artist and a mother, and she takes the drawings of her four-year-old daughter and turns them into artwork. Um, and the before-after, the befores are these scribbles and um, interesting in themselves. And then with a, like a, the black marker, and then the mom sees what is in there, and transforms it into a woman with a fox hat or a 
severe looking owl or a red boat on a lake with some trees. And the side by side is, is fascinating. And I think that's what God does with us. God is with us in the, in the dark parts, in the valley parts. And I believe God is saying, do you trust me? Can you let me hold this? Can you let me hold you together? So in closing, I don't have connection card questions, but uh, as the worship team comes back up, maybe revisit the picture, the image. And maybe you can dare into what would be added to this to make it beautiful. Or maybe um, that could be like putting a border on it, putting a little gilded-looking frame or um, a, a wreath type of something to make it, okay, contained. Or if, if adding to it is too much now, just to hold that piece of paper and trust that God can do something with it. Even if you don't know what the embellishments or the other parts are yet, you can remember that it is just part. It's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere in the going. But it's not the whole story and it's not the whole picture. And that God does know the whole story and the whole picture. And let's pray. God, you are good. And we've had, we've had experiences and opportunities that make us wonder whether you are good or there or paying attention or capable. But would you be near? Would you hold us even in our wondering, doubting, raging you know where we are and you know what we need. May we trust that your mercies will be new again tomorrow and are, are here and enough today. It's in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.